At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. I think just growing up in a capitalist society that tends to tell us that our worth is in our productivity, most people need to learn how to take care of themselves and to take care of themselves as the end goal, not in service of them making more money or being more successful or these other things. Hello and welcome to the Women and ADHD podcast. I'm your host, Katie Weber. I was diagnosed with ADHD at the age of 45, and it completely turned my world upside down. I've been looking back at so much of my life, school, jobs, my relationships, all of it with this new lens, and it has been nothing short of overwhelming. I quickly discovered I was not the only woman to have this experience, and now I interview other women who, like me, discovered in adulthood they have ADHD and are finally feeling like they understand who they are and how to best lean into their strengths, both professionally and personally. Before we get started, I'd like to share with you a review from a listener called Yinny Binny on the Apple Podcast platform. It's entitled, I think this podcast is part of my treatment plan. I credit my providers, Katie, and the wonderful speakers she has on here for helping me navigate a diagnosis at the age of 32. I can relate. My head hurts from nodding. I'm not broken. Thank you, Katie. I learned so much from you and this series. Well, this is so fantastic to hear. Thank you, Yinny Binny. I am just so pleased to be along with you on this journey of self-discovery and with all of you joining me each week as we learn more about our neurodivergent brains. This really truly is a huge part of the treatment plan when it comes to ADHD. If you've been listening to this podcast and you have found it helpful, please take a moment to leave a review so that other women can find this podcast and these conversations and know that they're not alone and they're not simply lazy, depressed, or broken, but they have ADHD. You can leave a review at Apple Podcasts or Audible, or you can give individual episodes feedback on Spotify. And if putting your thoughts into words feels like too much right now, and believe me, I totally get it, you can also just stop and quickly hit the five stars. In fact, you can just pause and do it right now. I promise we will wait for you. Okay, here we are at episode 141, in which I interview Taylor Elise Morrison. Taylor is a founder, facilitator, coach, and serial entrepreneur, making well-being and personal development more accessible. Through her company, Inner Workout, and her book of the same name, Taylor supports people's journey to know, care for, and become their full selves. Recently named one of Fortune's 10 innovators shaping the future of health, Taylor is tired of aspirational wellness as usual. Instead, she builds businesses, content, and experiences that make well-being and personal development more accessible. Now, Taylor and I talk all about why exactly neurodivergent brains struggle with self-care and why we so often end up in burnout mode. We also talk about how self-concept and self-talk lead to emotional dysregulation, how to listen to our bodies and what they're actually telling us, and the importance of community and support when it comes to self-care and what that looks like when you have ADHD. 
This was a fantastic conversation. Taylor is so wise. I know you're going to love this episode. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Taylor. Hi, Taylor. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for joining me. I feel like I'm in the presence of podcast professor. I feel like you've been such a, you've been doing podcasting for so long. And it's such an interesting medium, especially for the conversations that we have that we'll have today. So thank you for joining me. Um, So I would love to find out, I guess, your story. What, how long ago were you diagnosed with ADHD? It was about a, a little over a year ago, year and a half. Just under a year ago. I've had inklings for a while and I really, well, let's start from the beginning. (laughs) So what happened was I started to hear women in my life, especially talking about ADHD more and realizing, oh, I have some things in common with them. I had a client while I was working with her. She got diagnosed with ADHD and I had a moment where I've always had kind of a portfolio career or always for the past four years or so, four or five years. And I realized, oh, I'm doing this because I need to have a level of stimulation that not everyone else needs to have. And I'd heard people talk about with how in ADHD, especially if you're doing something you don't want to do, you might have like music on and a YouTube show in the background. So you can do this task. And I don't do that. But in my career, I have to have like enough interesting things happening. And that moment, I still remember it. I I like finished facilitating a workshop and immediately was like, I need to see if I have ADHD. So I found a practitioner to meet with. And then I called my dad. And my dad was like, well, yeah, you probably do have ADHD. I'm pretty sure I have it. He's in his late 60s. He's just like, yeah, I just live with it. I don't think I'm going to get diagnosed at this point. And then a couple days later, my sister called him and was like, dad, I think I have ADHD. Her daughter has been diagnosed with ADHD for a while. And he was like, did you talk to your sister? Because she's having the same journey. And so we've kind of been on this journey together. Oh, wow. Okay. So was she also diagnosed? I don't think that she sought a professional diagnosis because she's been working with her daughter where she was like, I can see the similarities that we have. And she's kind of like my dad in that way where she's like, I've been coping for this long. My sister's 15 years older than me. She's like, I've been coping for this long. It just feels enough for me to be like, oh, yeah, my brain works differently. And now I can treat myself as if my brain works differently. Yeah. Yeah. I know it is always fascinating to me because it's something we talk about on this podcast a lot, which is like how important is a formal diagnosis? For some of us, it was incredibly validating, right? Like I feel like Without a formal diagnosis, I would have always been wondering if I was making this up, right? Like, I think a lot of it comes down to how you view ADHD in terms of, is this something that's quirky about me versus maybe like, you know, a lot of the shame that we have around ADHD. And that was what I found so fascinating when I was diagnosed was it wasn't like the fidgetiness that I related to. It wasn't the... I can't sit still part. I didn't relate to any of that. Or like you were saying, like needing things in the background, those weren't, those weren't necessarily 
traits that I related to, but it was a lot of the the inner stuff, right? Like the shame and the emotional reaction and feeling like a lot of these traits of mine that were character flaws or and and how deeply held some of that stigma is around symptoms of ADHD. I relate to that so deeply. And I was telling you before we started recording, once I did get a diagnosis, my first thing, I reached out to the women in my life who did have ADHD and I started searching for podcasts because so much of the conversation I'd heard was, I'm supposed to be this really fidgety person. And technically my diagnosis is inattentive. I do move around a lot. It's funny. Um, my husband, I've been with him for 12 years. And he's like, oh, yeah, some of the things that you do do make sense. Like I'll randomly just be on the couch and have to put my legs in the air because I've just been too still for too long. But I wasn't as a kid, always running around. And I think that's another interesting thing for me too. And I think part of why I did want to seek out a professional diagnosis or a formal diagnosis was because I did pretty well in school. I was bored a lot of the time in school, but I was able to muscle through it. And so I did feel like, am I just making this up? That like maybe I was just a normal kid who was bored in school or because like for my sister, for example, she struggled a lot more in school. And I think for her, it was easier for her to connect the dots, but because it was a lot more of inward things or things that I did have shame around. I didn't feel comfortable expressing. It felt like maybe I was tricking myself into saying that I had ADHD. So I would just feel like using it as an excuse almost. And that was shame that I had to work through and still sometimes have to work through. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's one of the, I think it's one of the reasons why I love to ask guests how they've surveyed their whole life through this new lens, because I think it, it is really interesting to see evidence over the course of our life, because it does look differently, right? I mean, you could go to a doctor and say, uh, I did really well in school and I wasn't, you know, I didn't have behavioral issues. And they could say, well, there's no evidence of ADHD. But you also know that we there's the high masking that girls experience, as you know, and then the, the emphasis on behaving well and the emphasis on being accepted and the perfectionism that then leads to anxiety, that then leads to the depression and anxiety diagnosis. So even this idea of what is quote unquote, evidence of ADHD is really subjective from one person to the next. And I I've shared this on the podcast before, like, when I was diagnosed, I immediately looked at my son, because I really like your sister struggled in school and had a lot more organizational issues that seemed really obvious as ADHD when I was younger. And so I saw that in my son and was like, Oh, he and I are cut from the same cloth. But my daughter is extremely organized and very does very, very well in school. And I never would have thought she had ADHD until I started interviewing women on the podcast and heard the sto this story over and over and over again of girls doing really, really well in school and developing a really intense anxiety and perfectionism and burnout, right? And all of the stuff that sort of comes with high expectations and high performance. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay, that's also ADHD. I relate to that so deeply. I think something interesting for me and something that I've come back to a lot is you can't see me right now if you're listening to this, but I'm a black woman and I grew up in predominantly white environments. And so I think that added another element of things to me where there's the socialization of being a girl and just generally we're expected to be quiet and agreeable and all of these things. 
there also was a hyper awareness that I had that when I was doing things, if I were to be someone who acted out, and I remember being so bored in class, like being so bored that I literally thought I was going to die, but it never crossed my mind as a possibility that I could like get up and disrupt the class because I'm representing not just me, but Black people. And that's a lot of pressure to hold too. So that's why I love having more nuanced conversations about ADHD and the different identities that we hold because it definitely changes not only our experience of ADHD, but also our outward expression of it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And I feel like, I, you know, I've, I've talked to guests who were, who were women of color who were in med school. And so the extra, especially in school environments where there was that a, additional pressure, which was like, I'm going to, you know, I'm, I'm not only representing myself, but I'm representing my entire race. And then if I step out of line, then I'm going to sort of prove to you your preconception that I didn't belong here in the first place. Right. And so always having to deal with that feeling of like overperformance, right. Which I think a lot of minority children have of the, you can't just show up as a hundred percent. You have to show up as 150%. Yeah. Absolutely. So now one of the things that really struck me on your website with Inner Workout was uh, you were talking about wellness and said, what if we could help people build the skill of self-care? And that really stood out to me because one of the things I feel like we talk a lot about on this podcast is needing to be explicitly told things. Like there's something that feels very neurotypical about people just sort of understanding how they're supposed to do things. And many of us as neurodivergents felt like everybody got the manual, but me. And I've often said like even executive function, like that was not a term I'd ever heard about. I really, really wish it had been taught in school or like we were explicitly taught things about strategies and developing life skills. It it felt like everybody kind of absorbed that. And I never felt like I did. And so a lot of us have that feeling like we weren't adulting. And so it was really interesting to see that in the terms of self-care, right? Which is like, do you think there's something inherently neurodivergent about needing to be explicitly taught self-care? Or do you think maybe that's just a universal human quality? Yes and no. First of all, I love this question. And it's funny because I got diagnosed with ADHD all four-ish years into my work around self-care and after I finished writing the book. So I wish I could kind of go back and rewrite it and not because there's anything that I would change, but because I think it colors the way that I talk about things. So I think just as growing up in a capitalist society that tends to tell us that our worth is in our productivity Most people need to learn how to take care of themselves and to take care of themselves as the end goal, not in service of them making more money or being more successful or these other things. So I think there is a larger conversation that just needs to be had about self-care in general. But I do think that the way that I approach it, because I made it with my my this approach with my neurodivergent brain tends to resonate with people who also are neurodivergent. So I guess to start, the definition of self-care that I use is listening within and responding in the most loving way possible. And that's constantly what I'm going back to teaching people is you need to learn the way that you talk to you, your, your inner wisdom, your body, these different aspects of you 
are trying to have a conversation with you. So you need to learn how it speaks to you. And then you need to develop the skill to be able to respond with love to whatever is coming up. I think that's really useful because I'm not in the business of being overly prescriptive. I'm in the business of really trying to help you understand journaling works for you. Great. Let's double down on that. Sitting in silence works for you. Great. Let's work double down on that. You get your best insights about what's going on in the shower. Great. Let's lean into that. Something that I've struggled with both as a Black woman and as now someone who realizes I'm neurodivergent is getting all these formulas that don't take into account the different identities I hold and the different ways that our brains can work. So I could get so fired up about this, but I'm going to pause here. (laughs) Uh, Well, no, it's really interesting because I feel like, um, you know, I also wrote a book about binge eating and before my diagnosis. And then after my diagnosis, I was like, oh, yeah, I had the very similar experience where I was like, oh, seeing this through this lens now and realizing how common binge eating is. And and like you said, like all the clients I had worked with in the past, I kind of wanted to call them up and be like, guess what? We all have ADHD. (laughs) Not that, like you said, not that I would have changed a word about the book, but there is something to context, right? Like I think this diagnosis provides us with context. It provides us with information that can be so enlightening in terms of what is our next step. And that's what I think is so so profound feeling about the diagnosis is that it really explains to us who we are. If you have ADHD, it can often feel overwhelming to find the right treatment. And then when you finally do get an appointment with your local clinician, there's no guarantee that they will have the adequate background or understanding of ADHD in adults, especially in women. You might end up leaving that appointment more confused and disheartened than when you entered. That's where Dunn comes in. Dunn is an online ADHD care platform that can get you all the resources you need to help manage your ADHD. With experienced clinicians who know exactly what to look for, you can start getting personalized care as soon as today or tomorrow. Take a free one-minute assessment and book an appointment with a licensed ADHD clinician as soon as the next day. Get continuous care, one-click refills, insurance coverage, and 24-7 care team support with Dunn for just $79 a month and pharmacy co-pays as low as $0. Visit get.dunnfirst.com slash podcast to learn more. Again, that's get.dunnfirst.com slash podcast. Done. Turn ADHD into your strength. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership. We're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. When you talk about that, how we talk to ourselves, I feel like one of the things that many of us, especially who are diagnosed in adulthood, have in common is this fact that we have internalized a lot of negativity from people around us, right? It doesn't come from nowhere. So we've internalized, you know, somebody at some point told us we were lazy. Somebody at some point told us we were selfish or worthless, right? These are these negative messages that people with ADHD get all the time. And then we internalize them and then we end up with depression. And so like, how do we break that cycle? How do we begin to talk to ourselves in a way that is caring when so many of us feel like, all of the outside voices are 
saying the opposite. Let me zoom out and then I'll zoom back in. So to zoom out, when I share this definition of self-care, listening within and responding in the most loving way possible, when I say that it's a conversation that you're having with yourself, it's that for me, what it shifted is instead of self-care being this to-do list where it's like, I need to wake up at 5 a.m., I need to drink this exact amount of water. I need to do this workout that some celebrity did. It's more about checking in with me, what's going on underneath the surface, which might be different than it was yesterday, which might be different than it was five minutes ago, and respond with love. So that's what I mean when I'm saying having that conversation with yourself is understanding when my muscles get tight. That happens a lot when I'm anxious. That means it might be worth it to take five minutes to stretch or do a few minutes of deep breathing. That nuance that you're able to understand just the same way with like your best friend or your partner, they can have like a certain look that they do or a certain tone of voice and they might not say it, but you know it's time to give them a hug. So that's me zooming out. To zoom back into your question, which I think is really, really important as like, again, part of why I sought a diagnosis is because I wanted the validation that I struggled. For example, cleaning is something I've always struggled with. And I felt like I was just so bad at it and had all of these narratives around why I was wrong. I think of like the saying cleanliness is next to godliness. And I'm like, well, I'm not godly because I definitely am not as cleanly as I should be. And It's hard to have effective, clear, supportive conversations with yourself when there is all of that noise happening around. A couple things that I would offer for that. One is a lot of times for myself and for clients that I work with, we tend to put this into a they, like a they or an everyone. Everyone thinks I'm lazy. They think I'm lazy, et cetera. And so I invite people to get really clear, who is that? Who is that whose voice you're hearing? And I've done this. It's been the most random people. One time it was this guy from high school. Another time it was this client that I was working with a while back. My fourth grade teacher. Yeah. Exactly. (laughs) So get really clear on who that person is. And then how much do you really care about their opinion? But there's something to separating, okay, it's not everyone. When I get to the root of it, it's this one person. And many times I have not been in contact with them for a while. And if it is someone, if it is your partner, then you can have a conversation with your partner and say, I've been thinking about cleaning. I'm having a lot of shame with how I'm showing up when it comes to cleaning. And you're getting it out of your head instead of all of this internalized stuff that we love to do. Another thing that I like to offer, this comes from acceptance and commitment therapy, and this is all about creating distance between us and the thoughts because when we're so identified with the thoughts, I mean, we ruminate, it's spinning, I'm feeling in my body all of the tightness that happens when I get caught up in thoughts. So another thing that you can do is to say, instead of I'm lazy, just say, I'm having the thought that I'm lazy. Already, that's putting distance between yourself and the thought. Another step further, you can go, I notice I'm having the thought that I'm lazy. That puts you into the observer mode. And so instead of you being lazy, 
you're having the thought or you're noticing that you're having the thought. And when you have more distance from it, that allows you to be more objective versus when we believe that every thought we have is true. I love that, right? Um, that is such a beautiful way of explaining that. And I and I love how you've phrased it as responding with love because it. I think, you know, one of the things I talk a lot about with this podcast too is this idea of pulling back and looking at things in sort of a logical way, right? Which is, I use the term, this is information as a trigger, which is getting yourself out of the emotional reaction of I'm a failure, I'm lazy, everybody hates me. Those are all emotional reactions. Those are all judgment laden. And so if we can get to a place where we're we're observing in more of like a logical, like anthropological way, we can say, okay, what have I learned from this? What information is, is important? What can I do next, right? You can start asking those questions that all involve progress and and observation. And and so I've always been looking for a better word than just logical because it never felt like it was the right explanation. And I just love that you were like, responding with love is really what you're doing in that situation. You're saying what is true and what is not true in those moments. And then being able to say, you know, how important is it? Because then when you're out of that charged, emotional, dysregulated state, then you can start to ask yourself those questions. Like, what do I do with this knowledge? And, or like you said, like, you know, is this important to me? Who is this? You know, why is this happening? What What is my response? All of these more regulated questions that are we're able to move forward with. So I really like the way you phrase that. Thank you. <laughs> uh, so so let's backtrack a little bit with inner workout. How did this get started? Or how did you start this work? Yeah, out of necessity. Like when you were talking earlier about how there are people with ADHD. I'm one of them who can internalize so much of it. I got my anxiety diagnosis in college and college for me was hard. That was the first time I actually struggled in school because my school growing up was relatively easy, at least for me. And then I went to Vanderbilt and I was like, oh, everyone is like as smart as me. This is, they have had many of them like better schools than me. I did some AP classes, but they're doing IB and all these other things I didn't know. And it really like kind of broke my brain. And I always have had perfectionist tendencies. I've always liked to do a lot, overload myself. But as I really got into adulthood, I found myself in these cycles of doing all the things, getting completely overwhelmed, trying to practice self-care the way that Others talked about it. I think of like Parks and Rec, treat yourself, where it's like, get a massage, get your nails done. All of those are great things. But like the way I've structured my life is fundamentally leading me towards burnout. Me getting a 60 minute massage is not going to restructure my life. And I have this particular evening in 2017 where I was newly married. I was working full time at a startup. Um, and doing a lot. I was their first full-time employee. So I had like a lot of things that were happening. I also was doing a side hustle. I also was volunteering for multiple nonprofits and trying to have a social life. All of these things were happening. And I'm trying to be like the good organized person. It's Sunday night. I'm like, let me get my planner. Let me get my laptop. I'm going to plan my my week. And instead of planning, I started like panicking. I was like, I have too much going on. I can't do all of this. And I'm just like clicking buttons and 
not really writing stuff in my planner. So I did something really out of character for me, which is that I closed my laptop and I took a bath instead, which side note is kind of funny because now I'm always telling people self-care is more than bubble baths, but it is bubble baths are where it started for me. (laughs) And that something about unplugging, I didn't look at my phone or my laptop until Monday morning was really useful for me. And that became my first self-care ritual is like I would take some time on Sunday nights to take a bath, to journal, to check in with me. And the more I did that consistently, the more I wanted that feeling that I got on my Sunday night baths to be able to access that on like a Wednesday morning or a Friday afternoon. And I realized that it wasn't about the bath. What I was doing is that I was listening to myself and I was finding loving ways to respond. And as I started talking about it more, people told me like, I'm struggling with self-care and the way that you're talking about it seems like it would be more effective. And it turned into this company and this book. That's amazing. Uh, and congratulations, by the way, on the book. I guess it's it's only been over a few months. So that's awesome. You're birthing that in 2023. That's amazing. So like you said, I it's a matter of deciding for ourselves what self-care looks like is almost the first step, right? And I think that many of our experiences as people with ADHD is that we don't necessarily recharge the way other people might. So like lying on the couch for a couple hours is agony. (laughs) And oftentimes when we're lying on the couch, we're in a state of anxiety or we're in a state of procrastination or we're in a state of paralysis and it's not restorative at all. Usually our inner voice is on, is on, you know, um, overdrive telling us how terrible we are. Why can't you do the thing? Or at least that's my experience. Like that's not, if I'm lying around on the couch, scrolling my phone, you know, I'm in like a bad state. Whereas something that might restore or recharge me is something like getting excited about a new venture or new business, right? Like my, my hobbies usually involve accidental side hustles, right? (laughs) So I'm like, those are the, right. So it's like finding those things that actually do restore and recharge you and realizing that they're going to look very different from, as you say, like what we are taught is, is supposed to be relaxing like massages. Um, but figuring out what is going to trigger that specific feeling of restoration. Yeah. And that's really tough, right? I mean, it's really tough because a lot of us don't often feel relaxed. Like like we don't even know what that means or what that looks like or feels like. I, I know that, you know, so many of us go through our lives feeling just exhausted all the time <laughs> and no amount of sleep or rest seems to help with that. So I think that that is sort of the first step is realizing that it's not going to look like what we think it's going to look like. Yeah. And it's interesting. I heard you use the word relaxed. And like for me, that isn't the end goal. The goal is to feel cared for. And so when you, and that's another thing, like now I kind of want to do a word search in the PDF to see if I even use the word relax in the book. But like I'm really concerned about people feeling supported and cared for. And yeah, like, I can think of people in my life. I can think of moments for myself, even like I do meditate. I can only meditate for about five minutes. And sometimes it has to be like a moving meditation where I'll start like moving my body because the sitting still just doesn't do it for me. And that doesn't mean that I'm like not a good meditator. 
it doesn't mean that I'm bad at it. It just means I know what works for me and what makes me feel cared for in me not scratching an itch or like being mad at myself for having to move my body. Does it make me feel cared for when I'm meditating? Yeah. And I, I, you know, I feel like oftentimes when women come to me for coaching, they're newly diagnosed and in that frame of mind of now that I figured out what's wrong with me, how can I fix me? And, and I always kind of chuckle at that where I'm like, no, there's nothing wrong with you. Like <laughs> there never was anything wrong with you. Um, but I think we oft so often want to fix things so quickly. And, um, through this lens of self-care, I'm like, how, you know, my, you know, my impulse as an interviewer is to be like, okay, what's the first thing, what's the quickest way you could tell somebody, you know, to, to feel cared for? What's the, what's the one thing you could tell them to feel cared for? And I realized that that's nuanced and not very easy. I mean, I do have a starting point if you want. Okay. That's a good one. That's a better phrasing. This was, what would be the first step? Yeah. I think the starting point that I would offer is really leaning into the how do you hear from yourself? And I know, especially for myself with ADHD, I want to skip over. I'm like, let's get to the good stuff. Like the responding with love is doing something. But learning how to listen to yourself is really important. I would almost say it's more important if you have ADHD because so much of the messaging that you're going to be getting around personal development and leadership development and how to be well is not going to be created with you in mind. So learning that I can understand when I'm feeling emotionally dysregulated because I feel this feeling in my stomach, like really building a rich vocabulary with yourself. And by vocabulary, I mean like those tight legs, the stomach, the feeling of excitement that you get when you think of a new venture, the the things that the voice in your head tends to say, like, again, some of the work that you can do with a coach or a therapist can be like naming the stories. Oh, yeah, this is the I'm a failure story. Cool. Like, I've heard that before. Or this is the Taylor Splakey story. That's a loud story for me where I'm like, I have so many interests. People probably think I'm flaky all the time. And then I have to be like, Who's people? Oh, people is this one woman that I went to college with that I haven't talked to since college. Actually, I don't care if she thinks that I'm flaky. But um, I got distracted. I got on a whole tangent. But learning, learning, building a vocabulary with yourself about what is going on, what is you speaking to yourself will then naturally flow into action. Once you know this means you're anxious, then you can figure out how to deal with it. Once you know that this means you're excited, then you can know how to harness it. Mm-hmm. Right? And I, yeah, I've often called this having notes in the margin or you know, feeling like you are learning a new language when it comes to this diagnosis. Because for me, it was like, oh, I had no idea I was dysregulated. That wasn't a term I knew. I didn't I never used that term before. And now I use it all the time because so much of this comes down to sensory regulation. So it really is like learning this language around who I am and why I am and why I do what I'm doing and how my environment is contributing to that. Hey friend, if there's one thing I've learned about ADHD over the last few years is that we can thrive with the right combination of accountability, planning, 
coaching, and peer support. Knowing all this, I set out to create the ultimate all-in-one coaching and accountability community for adults with ADHD or learning disabilities. I knew I couldn't do it alone, so I joined forces with one of my favorite ADHD coaches, Alex Gilbert of Capable Consulting, and together we launched the ADHD Lounge. The Lounge was created as a safe place for neurodivergent adults away from other social media, where we offer live group calls, co-working and body doubling every weekday for accountability, focus, and skill development. We have weekly and monthly goal planning sessions to keep yourself on track. We also have one-on-one office hours with myself and Alex, and of course, friendship and lots of peer support. We have three different membership levels to meet you where you're at. So if you're looking for an affordable way to stay connected, productive, and accountable, while also having regular access to ADHD coaching and expertise, then make sure to come join me in the ADHDlounge.com. Again, that's the ADHDlounge.com. And as a listener of the Women in ADHD podcast, you can get 30% off your first month with the code PODCAST30. So head to the ADHDlounge.com and use the code PODCAST30 to get 30% off your first month. During the early days of my diagnosis, as I was deep into hyperfocus ADHD research mode, I kept searching for some kind of all-in-one, everything you ever needed to know about ADHD and women handbook that I could reference and keep at my fingertips, but I never really found anything that suited me. That's why I've taken everything I've learned about ADHD in women and adults who are socialized as girls, and I've gathered it into a concise, easy-to-access self-guided and self-paced course so you can feel like you've got everything you need at your fingertips. It's called, Hey, it's ADHD, and it has everything you need to start loving your brain and living a more fulfilling, gratifying life. I built this course to be helpful wherever you are on your ADHD journey. I am so excited to finally be able to offer this course, and I truly hope this will help you develop a deeper understanding of your ADHD brain and how to embrace it as you build yourself a toolkit for your own life. So head over to womenandadhd.com and click on the Hey, It's ADHD course tab for more information and to get started. Oh, I did want to get back to the five dimensions of well-being because this is like, uh, I tell me a little bit more about your self-assessment too, because that feels like a really good place to start for somebody as well. Yeah. Um, And it's so funny because people with ADHD either are like, it's 75 questions. So they're either like, ooh, that's a lot of questions. Or they're like, ooh, I get really into it. I love, we love, we love quizzes. Absolutely. (laughs) Yes. Um, So to start with the five dimensions of well-being, that's really the foundation of the work of inner workout. And this was inspired by this yogic concept of the koshas, um, which I then kind of put my own interpretation and on it and became the five dimensions of well-being. And what's been really helpful for me about these five dimensions that I'll touch on brief- briefly is that it helped me realize that there are many parts of myself that need attention and care. And if I'm not being mindful I can put all of my care into one dimension or I can misdirect my care and have something going on emotionally and then try and make it better with a physical response. So I'm already starting to use some of these dimensions. So let me go through them. There's the physical dimension, which is the way that you, your body talks to you and the way that you talk to your body. It's about body awareness, body acceptance, embodiment overall, which is Again, something that women with ADHD can benefit so much from being more present in our bodies. Then there's the energetic dimension, which looks at our breath, how it can support or detract from our well-being. 
And it also is looking at the way that energy moves in and through our lives. We have things that energize us, things that drain us, and bringing more mindfulness to that. Then there's the mental and emotional dimension. That's one dimension. And that looks at what comes into our brain, like how we're using our brain, what's engaging us, what's stimulating us, especially for ADHD, what's coming out of our brain in the form of thoughts, feelings, and emotions. And that's all supported by sleep because we know probably better than almost anyone, sleep can really change our mood and our ability to process things. Then there's the wisdom dimension, which is about us being tapped into our inner wisdom in the present moment and taking aligned action. As again, I feel like a lot of this, when I say this, I'm like, oh yeah, of course I had ADHD because it's one thing for us (laughs) to like know something, to have that gut feeling. It's another thing to take aligned action there. And then the last piece is about bliss. That dimension is all about connection, connection to the truest, fullest expression of yourself connection to community and connection to something bigger, whatever that means to you. That's incredible. And you know, it is it what I find very neurodivergent about this breakdown, how helpful organized scaffolding can be for us when it comes to self-care. And so being able to break these down into categories, I feel like that's very neurodivergent, right? Where we're like, let me understand this. Is there, can I put this into a spreadsheet? <laughs> Uh, you know, of, of and how can I understand this from these different point of views and points of view? And it reminds me of kind of our treat the holistic nature of an ADHD quote unquote treatment plan, which is what I call it for lack of a better word. But I'm like so many times with a diagnosis where you know our clinician says, "Here's your medication, see ya," and I'm like, that is not. I mean, medication is amazing for a lot of people, but that is not how we deal with ADHD. Um, that's not going to solve a lot, you know, it'll help with some things, but really we need to take an incredibly holistic point of view. And when it comes to, you know, self-care and education and, and advocacy and accommodations and all of those things in terms of how we are moving in the, in this world. But there is this need to like categorize things I find because maybe it's because we just generally feel so chaotic and we have such a hard time figuring out what our next step is that that feels that even just the five dimensions and working off the koshas feels very neurodivergent of just being like, yes, this is this is what it is in a way a checklist, right? (laughs) Which is kind of like, how do I make sure I'm I'm covering all my bases and and coming at this from all of these different points of view? Exactly. And it's, I like seeing that visual representation when you take the assessment, it's free and you get like a representation of bubbles of different sizes. So you can see, okay, here's how they relate. And then you get percentages, which I will say, especially for my perfectionists here, it's not a test. You can't fail it. The percentages are only so you can see the relationships between the different categories. Oh, that's amazing. So now it doesn't, after you take the assessment, is there like tailored suggestions in terms of like, you're the kind of person who needs meditation versus you're the kind of person who needs to go for a run or like how, how tailored is the, is the feedback? I really like that you asked that question because it's really a snapshot of a point in time. So you could take it one week and take it the next week and get different results and different recommendations. So you get three recommendations that for practices that you can do based on your results. And then if you want to go even further, 
the book really expands on each of the dimensions, each of the sub-dimensions, has a bunch of practices, journaling prompts, all of that good stuff. That's incredible. Oh, my God. That, it almost feels like it could be an app, too, right? Where it's like, because those those check-in apps I've always really struggled with, which is, you know, how are you today or what are you feeling right now? Because I find it very difficult to decide in the moment how I'm feeling you know, check-ins are anxiety producing for me, but I feel like there would be a nice way to say if there was a way that you could kind of describe, like answer questions in terms of how you're feeling. And then it could tell me, you know, this is what you need today. Maybe it's ice cream. Maybe it's a bath. I don't know. (laughs) Like an AI, an AI self-care buddy. Uh, See, this is how I, this is how I relax. Right. I'm like, start a new business. (laughs) Yeah, I was going to say. Now, this is a, how how do people beyond the book? How can people and of course, there's the inner warm up podcast, which is incredible. I've listened to a few episodes and it's just such an incredible resource. Um, so thank you for putting that into the world. But how can people work with you? And do you do group coaching? Do you have do you work what you work one on one? Do you have courses? Yes. Um, So there is Begin Within, which is our group coaching program, which will actually be starting a couple months after this goes live. So the application is all on our homepage. Um, And then we also have what are called shift sessions, which are like 60-minute sessions where you take the take care assessment. We hone in on like what is one specific shift that you can make that is going to make the biggest impact for your overall well-being. Because a thing that we can tend to do is be like, okay, I'm going to go to the paper store. I'm going to get a new journal. I'm going to change everything about my life. And then we get overwhelmed or we get bored and we go to the next thing. So it's so much more useful to be like, okay, let's look at this assessment. Let's see what your score is. Let's get to the root of the why behind that score And let's help you commit to one sustainable thing that you can do that will create a ripple effect for you. Oh, my goodness. I love that. We do have a tendency to throw a lot at the wall to see what's going to (laughs) stick. But I also think there's the the companionship element is really important with ADHD too, with, which is really being able to talk this out in terms of the next step. It's not the kind of thing that we're necessarily going to be able to do on our own, right? I, I can't necessarily sit there, even if I'm journaling, even if I'm filling a form out, oftentimes it takes another human to interact with who can then coach us and say, okay, what will be that next, you know, to ask the questions that need to be asked uh, and to prompt us. So that's incredible. I love what you're talking about. I love your work. <laughs> so, um, um, yeah, that's so, so I'm curious, like since your diagnosis, has anything changed looking back over the work that you're doing and like, has it, has your view of self-care changed through this new lens or have, is there anything that has changed in terms of your definition of, of self-compassion and self-care? The definition hasn't changed, but the importance of community care has been underscored for me, where for a lot of reasons, both perfectionism and living in an individualist society, even though self-care is difficult for many of us, it's easier for us to do often than asking for help and receiving support. And what my ADHD diagnosis helped me realize is like, again, my brain doesn't work the same way everyone else's brain does. 
And so I can lean on my husband in certain areas. I can be more upfront with my friends or with my family about the support that I need. And I have like language to name what is going on, which everyone should just be able to ask for help. But for me to understand like where my request was coming from and understand it from a more like intellectual perspective helped me ask for help. Mm, Yeah. And that's, I think, a theme that runs throughout this podcast all the time, which is how we're socialized as girls versus how, you know, what in terms of support, right? Like, I think that girls are socialized to do things for themselves and to not look for help. We, especially in a capitalist Western Protestant society where it's like, you have to be at your wits end before you can ask for support because support and asking for help is basically failure, right? Whereas I think that boys are socialized to find support immediately, which is like, who can I get to do this for me? My mom, my wife, my secretary, you know, it's always about who's going to help me do this thing. How does socialization play into, like you had said earlier, like how our ADHD presents, I think is so fascinating because it is such a different experience for so many of us. Um, um, now, uh, now, if you, so, what would you say that you love the most about your ADHD brain? <laughs> I mean, it was so fun. I felt like such a you're such a kindred spirit as you were just like, and then it could be this app, and then it could be these things. <laughs> I love the creativity that comes with ADHD and like the connections that we can make. It's funny. Before this, I was just getting lunch with a mentee who also has ADHD and got um, diagnosed just over a year ago. And she was talking about like, yeah, we can just make these connections that are so obvious to us and aren't obvious to other people. And I just think it's so beautiful for us to be creative and be able to, like, it's almost giving me chills just thinking about the interrelatedness of things that is really apparent to us and how that can come forth in business. But also like I've been leaning into more painting and other types of art and creative expression and like leaning into that. And it feels so good. I love that. Actually, that was as you were talking before, I was like, I wish you did retreats. Maybe that could be another thing you could add on your to do list. (laughs) I was like, if you if you hosted a retreat, I would 100 percent go because I think it is really interesting to explore even the idea of a retreat. Right. What would a restorative self-care retreat look like for somebody with ADHD? Because it might not be lying around on a hammock or take it, having massages. Like that's not necessarily relaxation. So like, what would a retreat look like? Because I think we're all looking for a way to escape our lives and take a break and, and, you know, recharge. But oftentimes I don't know what that looks like. So it'd be interesting to explore like how do I take that time? Because sometimes, you know, even when you have a weekend of like, look, we have have a long weekend coming up. And I'm like, how am I going to not work for three days? That's my biggest fear. (laughs) Because I love it. Like, that's where I get all of my, you know, that's what I love to do. But I also have a family that I need to hang out with and spend time with and enjoy and I can't be present with I have such a hard time being present with them when I'm excited about work things. And so that's my little therapy session right there. (laughs) I mean, relatable. I was just in New York with my mom and I like had a conversation the day before, couldn't sleep the first night I was there because I basically like conceptualized a rebrand, like new iteration of inner workout because it's coming up on four years old, which like 
is a long time to do something the same, pretty much the same way. So I'm like, okay, it's time for an upgrade. And I just w- was like, my mom was un- like understanding about it. And I did the majority of it when we weren't together because we had some, but I was like, it was all I could think about. We're at museums and I'm like, ooh, I love this color combination. I might incorporate this into the rebrand. It was a lot. <laughs> so now I, I imagine when you first heard the term ADHD, it wasn't relatable and in terms of a term. I feel like that's another thing we talk about a lot on this podcast is what a terrible name ADHD is. If you could rename it to something else, would you call it something else? It's so funny because there's a term that already exists that isn't always a positive term, but like having galaxy brain, you know, which can be derogative. But I kind of like that because I do think that like I am seeing like stars and constellations and connections and beauty in ways that other people aren't always seeing it. But also like stars are like these volatile balls of gas too. So (laughs) there's also that element of it. So I think I might name it that like galaxy brain. I don't even want I was going to say syndrome, but I don't even want to put syndrome on it. I'm just a galaxy brained person. Right. I guess it's been used as an insult. It's not something I've ever been called, but like I do love it as a metaphor too. even just not only that, but just the way in which the galaxy is expanding and contracting at the same time, you know, how it's like moving away from us and towards us and beyond comprehension. I love that. I, re- I really like that too. And I, I, I want to do away with all of the syndrome and traits and everything else. Cause I really think at the end of the day, it's just, we have a certain type of brain and our brain reacts to who we are in our different environments and if in our different countries and if our different societies and, and socioeconomic, like it just feels like the difficulties that we experience are not the, from the brain. The difficulties are from the environment, right? The system around us. This was so wonderful. Thank you, Taylor. Thank you so much for your time. You are just incredible. And I'll put links to your website and your book. And is there anything else you want to make sure that people know before we go? How can people reach you? Is What's the best way to reach out to you? The best place to go is the website, there's the link for the book, there's a link for the free assessment, and you can sign up for our newsletter. I'm like, kind of on Instagram. But the most consistent place that I do show up is in our weekly newsletter, Self Care Sundays. Oh, I love that. Yes. Um, yeah, when it comes to self care, I usually stay away from social media. <laughs> so I get that too. Uh, well, that's wonderful. And oh, yes, of course, I will have a link to the free assessment. I think that's super cool. We do love personality tests. So well, thanks again for your time. It's been really lovely hearing your story. Thank you, Katie, for having me. There you have it. Thank you for listening. And I really hope you enjoyed this episode of the Women and ADHD podcast. If you'd like to find out more about me and my coaching programs, head over to womenandadhd.com. If you're a woman who was diagnosed with ADHD and you'd like to apply to be a guest on this podcast, visit womenandadhd.com slash podcast guest. And you can find that link in the episode show notes. Also, you know, we ADHDers crave feedback, and I would really appreciate hearing from you, the listener. Please take a moment to leave me a review on Apple Podcasts or Audible. And if that feels like too much and I totally get it, please just take a few seconds right now to give me a five-star rating. 
or share this episode on your own social media to help reach more women who maybe have yet to discover and lean into this gift of neurodivergency. And they may be struggling and they don't even know why. I'll see you next week when I interview another amazing woman who discovered she's not lazy or crazy or broken, but she has ADHD. And she's now on the path to understanding her neurodivergent mind and finally using this gift to her advantage. Take care till then.